Welcome. This is Research Rank Repeat. This is co-host Hannah. This is co-host Alyssa. And this is officially the earliest we've ever recorded a podcast episode. Yeah, doing a nice, not super early morning, but early for us, as we normally record around the hours of midnight and beyond. We're at a nice 9.52 start, and we're getting right into it. 9.52 a.m., we should say. Mm, in the morning. It's early. In the morning. Um, yeah, so this is another Pixar short uh, special episode. Turning Red just came out. Yes. Literally. Yesterday. And uh, we're here to provide our thoughts, commentary, and then add it to our official ranking list. So I just wanted to say before we start that I know that there's currently some controversy with Disney and I don't support that. Essentially, Pixar has some issues with Disney right now, namely the fact that they did not give a theatrical release to this movie, even though I thought it was certainly fit for a theatrical release, just based on, you know, some of the scenes in the movie. Pixar also doesn't approve of their um, support of certain bills in um, Florida currently. So I just want to say that unfortunate timing, as I don't want to support Disney in this time, but we are professionals, so we have a job to do in terms of keeping up with the Pixar movies, so... When we discuss the movie, it's solely based on that movie. It's not yeah. our thoughts about Disney and like them as a company isn't going to affect the work that like a small smaller group of Disney did, you know? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yep. Um, okay. So Turning Red is rated PG. Came out in 2022, specifically March 11th, 2022. Yesterday. It's, yes. Last night is when we watched it. It's an hour and 40 minutes. Has a... These numbers are a bit skewed because they're very early numbers, but it has a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb and 95% on Rotten Tomatoes and 83 out of 100 on Metacritic. So they're all very different. So this movie is directed by Dami Shi, who was the director for the short film uh, Bao. I remember we talked about this at the We talked about Luca. it in Luca, yeah. Yeah, that we were excited for a, um, a female director and she also wrote the screenplay as well, right? Yeah, yep, she did. Um, so she, in addition to doing the short, has also worked on Inside Out, Incredibles 2, and Toy Story 4. She does, like, storyboard stuff for Disney as well. Um, so this was the first Pixar film to be solely directed by a woman. Brave was supposed to be, and then they decided to make it a... They decided to add a man to help out. I was going to bring up Brave, because I, I yeah. think there's some similarities there. Yeah. It's the first Pixar movie to take place in Canada. And it is the second Pixar movie to feature an Asian lead character, the first one being Up. Yes. With Randall? Randall, yep. I always wanted to call him, uh, what's Dog. the guy's name from Monsters, Inc.? Uh, oh, no, that's Rand- Russell. Russell, Russell. Okay, we keep doing this. We did this in the Pixar episode. Russell. We ranked them, yes. Russell, Sorry, is, Russell. From, is from Up, Randall is from Monsters, Inc., yes. Okay. <laughs> the development for this movie began in 2018, so far, it's received critical acclaim for its story, humor, animation, and, like, its use of culture. But a couple criticisms on the art style, um, that's been, like, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Also, so there's been, there was a movie critic who released a review about this movie and said that, um... Oh, no. Have you not seen this? 
No. Or heard about this? Okay. So I looked at a few things after I saw the movie, but I didn't go like full in depth. Okay. So I, I haven't seen like critic stuff. I figured you'd bring it up here. Yeah. So hit. I heard about this before the movie came out um, on Twitter. So, okay. but anyways, so his review was basically that. I'll just read a snippet of it. Okay. Some Pixar films are made for a universal audience. Turning Red is not. The target audience for this one feels very specific and very narrow. If you're in it, this might work well for you. I am not in it. This was exhausting. So, I we, we just talked about this yeah. um, recently. I don't remember what episode it was, how much it sucks that it's like women, like women-led movies are only for women or, I th- you know... I think it's mostly because, like, it's, like, the Asian community, and if you're not a member of that, you can't relate, which I'll have comments about that because I didn't feel that way. No, I didn't either. Someone kind of replied to that and said, Turning Red's (laughs) specificity, wait, specificity? Specificity, yeah. Yeah, like, specific, okay, is one of the most charming things about it. Quote, I am not in it, therefore it's exhausting, is an awful and frankly privileged way to engage or not engage with art. Yeah. So since then, the company he works for has claimed that they didn't fully review the review before it was released so that they should have caught that. And also the guy himself has issued an apology, but basically a lot of people are calling him out for being racist and like basically saying because I'm not Asian and a woman, I can't relate. I'm sorry, I don't want to assume his race. I'm just assuming he's a white he's man. White. And he's I think like, he oh no. Yeah, I think he was white. The main actress who plays May, uh, the main character, she was hired originally to provide scratch vocals to support like development of the film. Oh. Um, they hired her specifically because she was like a local child actor, actress, yeah. and lived like close to the studio. Um, so when they got the movie, like, approved and when they were doing the voice actors and getting people for the cast, um, the director had already, like, fallen in love with her voice. Yeah. So she actually, like, on her, she added an additional page to, like, her recording for that day and, like, basically put on there, like, oh, you're being offered this role. That's how the girl found out. Wow. Which I thought was pretty cool. That's cool because I feel like, I felt like her voice felt very, like authentic like yeah. for that age group and like it didn't it didn't need to be like a super professional voice yeah you know? she was 12 when she was doing the scratch okay. vocal work and may in the movie supposed to be 13 so she maybe was a few years older 13 when the movie was actually well pro- they were probably recording yeah. it for a while so two of minor characters actually have insulin pumps two kids at the school i noticed that yeah there was someone in a wheelchair too yeah, but they said it's the first time that diabetes has been depicted in, like, a Disney Pixar film. Um, that was really most of the background. There wasn't a ton just because it hasn't been out that long. Right. But, yeah, let's let's jump into... Do you do you have the this summary <laughs> from Disney Plus? Oh, okay. I was going to say, I forgot to write a summary. We don't, we don't write the Disney summaries. We oh, just... you're right. Yeah, let me, um... Let me pull that up. We don't write our own for these as they're serious matter. <laughs> yeah, I completely forgot. Disney and Pixar's Turning Red introduces Mei Lee, a confident, dorky, 13-year-old torn between staying her mother's dutiful daughter in the chaos of adolescence. Her protective, if not slightly overbearing mother, Maine, is never far away from her daughter, an unfortunate reality for the teenager. 
And as if it changes to her interests, relationships and bodies weren't... Oh, sorry. And as if changes to her interests, relationships and body weren't enough, whenever she gets too excited, she poofs into a giant red panda. Yeah. How would you feel if every time you got excited, you turned into an animal of your choosing? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'd like that. Yeah, it'd be a little weird. (laughs) So... We watched it together separately, but we watched it at the same time. And we get this intro with this kind of, like, first-person walkthrough where you're, like, meeting her and her friends. And I was like, oh, boy, I can already tell there's going to be a group of people who already are, like, not going to want to be watching this. Just solely based on this intro. But I really liked it. It I did, too. It was incredibly nostalgic, yeah. The movie takes place in 2002, which Hannah and I were not as old as the main characters were, but I was, I think, about eight, and you were probably about, like, seven, six, seven, yeah. eight. Or, so we were, like, slightly younger at that age, but, like, she had her portable CD player, Tamagotchi, the, bo- the boy band craze. Did you notice it was called Fortown? I was like, is that a playoff of O-Town? Well, it's, it's, I think it's a playoff of, like, all those, like, like the O-Boys. Like all the mix. Yeah, and then, yeah. like, every show, like, Kim Possible had the O-Boys, uh, That's a Raven had the Boys in Motion, like, all of these, like, TV shows and popular media, like, boy bands were the craze, and so I liked a lot of the, um, the th- like, the nostalgic things from that time period, and I thought it was really interesting because Disney doesn't, or Pixar doesn't really do, like stories in the past for a specific set time period like usually it exists on its own plane or like in more present day current time right yeah that is true I didn't really think about that yeah I was the same with you and and I agree like it was like we kept like I kept noticing things Mm -hmm. like more and more things I think that the nostalgia and the oh the music too we get bootylicious yeah beyonce i'm in but (laughs) to me like that was just like a part of the charm of the movie like i didn't necessarily need that to feel as connected because there's certainly people who like wouldn't feel connected in that way who like were a lot older in the 2000s or maybe kids who didn't grow up in or weren't even born yet Right, right. We weren't born yet. So I think that was maybe an additional charm for us because we feel connected in that way. Yeah. Um, just overall thoughts about the movie. Like, I I definitely thought it was, like, very relatable in the sense that I understand not everyone's, like, a 13-year-old girl growing up and, like, or part of, like, the Asian community, but, right. like, just the fact of, like, not knowing who you are and everyone kind of goes through that phase growing up where you try trying to figure out who you are without your parents', like, influence and, like, mm-hmm. and just trying to be your own person. So I thought that was a point to me that would make it relatable for most people. Yeah, I liked a lot of the, um, like, I got a lot of feelings of different things from this movie, like, like, Sailor Moon feeling, like, with the transformation stuff, and, like, some of the artistic choices, like, mm-hmm. made, um, the color palette was really, really fun, lots of reds and greens, like, I really liked the color choice, even, like, we talked about this a little bit, the food, There's this part where her dad is cooking, and I'm like, they are showing us, like, this is Ratatouille 2.0, and this little, like, 30-second clip, him chopping food and cooking, and I'm like, oh my god, please give us another Ratatouille, like, we're ready for it. The animation quality is clearly there, that you can really give us something amazing. 
No, I agree. Like, the food part, like, we, we didn't really talk much during this movie. We have, like, we use, like, this teleparty so you can, like, chat during the movie. Yeah. And, like, one of the comments we both made was, like, about, I got, like, chills watching the food scene. And, um, I love getting the movies where it's not a culture that you are maybe necessarily as familiar with. Yeah. But getting to learn some about it, like, they had the kind of backstory about, like, how the red panda mm-hmm. came to be in their family with, like, right. their ancestors and used it for, like, protection. And I thought that was cool to get that backstory. Um, I felt very engaged this whole movie. I did, too. Like, considering we, we literally didn't write anything for yeah. the majority of the movie, says a lot. Yeah. I felt like it moved at a good pace. I felt the pacing was really good. Yeah. Um, I liked the friends. I liked that the way she was able to stay grounded and not, at the beginning, and not, like, lose control was because of her friends. Yeah. Um, so I liked that aspect. And I felt like her little, I guess not, like, fight, I guess, yeah, a little fight with her friends felt realistic. Especially of that age group. Yeah. Like, I remember having fights like that with friends at that age. Yeah. And you kind of just move on. Right. They seem trivial as an adult, but, like, at that age, like, it's so, like, incredibly overwhelming and feels like the end of the world and especially, like, you know, going through puberty and stuff. Yeah. The amount of embarrassment like, secondhand embarrassment, I felt, mm-hmm. where I'm like, oh my god, like, I can't even imagine. Like, thankfully, our mom was not not like no. that in the sense of uh, overbearing in that way, so I'm like, I can't even imagine being in that position right. at, at that age and having to deal with some of those things. Like, her mom snooping outside of school, you know, getting caught by security, trying to bring her pads, and, and I liked that Pixar kind of went a little more adult themed than they yeah. have in the past. They used like words like pervy and like, you know, strippers. like sexy and strippers and yeah. stuff and gy- gyrating. Yeah. I liked that. I was like, yeah, I mean, it feels age appropriate for like the age that it is because that's how like teens are at that age, you know? I actually read in the background stuff that Pixar was a little hesitant to, like, allow them to do the scenes about, like, periods and, like, Mm -hmm. uh, pads and all that. Like, they didn't want to do that. But I think that's... That's what we experience. Yeah, I think that's nice because you would never... You've never seen that in a Pixar movie. So I think it's it's good to do. So this is where I wanted to talk about um, Brave. And I was thinking about this, but I also read a comment, like, I was looking up some things online, and somebody was like... Turning red is what Brave wanted to be. So Brave was supposed to be this, like, Pixar's first story about this girl growing up and, like, from that voice. And clearly we didn't get that because the the director was, you know, kind of pushed aside in 2012. Another 10 years ago, you know, t- a decade ago, we're supposed to have this. And clearly, like, that the story changed and the voice was not fully there. And Pixar kind of clearly didn't really, like, allow of that voice to like fully be heard but here it's very clear like this is her story like she is telling it it's a very distinct voice that we don't get from other pixar movies and i really appreciate that yeah just solely from the fact that it's like yeah like you know younger girls um and people who menstruate experience things like this growing up you know have to like deal with these things and it's like i like that that's just like this is what's happening you know in a big budget pixar movie yeah I, like, very much appreciated the fact that it's, like, there is a very distinct, clear voice, and I like that Pixar allowed that yeah. list to be told. 
they actually now that i'm thinking about it there is similarities to brave in like the fact that like it's the mother daughter difficult relationship where they don't necessarily see eye to eye all the time yeah and kind of coming together coming together at the end um the end too like i definitely cried i did too there was a couple scenes like the scene with like her and her dad at the end when he's like this made me laugh or something like that like and then the scene with her mom at the end like i just i liked that dynamic we love a supportive dad we're always here for a supportive dad i do love the dad i think he was a really great character I also just love Sandra O. Oh. Sandra O oh is amazing. So, I know. I thought her role as the mom was like really good. Like I thought yeah. she delivered it like probably how it was supposed to be delivered. I thought pretty much for the most part the voice cast was pretty good. Yeah. For it being a lot of younger. Although I mean like the one one friend was the girl from my tray from um, Never Have I Ever. She's not necessarily that young. She's probably like 20. Right. In her 20s. I don't know. Like I overall though I think it it was, I remember when we looked up the movie after Luca, we were really excited to get not only like a female directed movie, but like a movie about like Asian community because especially like now with everything that's like, yeah, especially with like with, all the violence yeah. against them and with everything that's been going on with COVID, like it's good to for me to, I think for kids to see this who maybe aren't a part of that community and to maybe feel or have any experience or can see right. that community and maybe in to feel a little bit more empathetic and like mm-hmm. a little bit more understanding like I think it's important like we've always said representation matters and seeing yourself in a movie is important yeah so I think it was good I mean I really enjoyed it and I know I know that's why a lot of people were upset that this didn't get a theatrical release because yeah. for instance Encanto got a theatrical release Right. But this didn't. And that was one of the points brought up Brought up was about how there's a lot of violence against the Asian community in yeah. the United States and, you know, beyond currently. The other thing I thought was interesting is I felt myself, after I watched this movie, comparing it a lot to Encanto. There's a lot of very similar-esque themes to be found. Things like generational trauma, family dynamics uh, that I thought was interesting that we got a Disney and a Pixar movie kind of having a similar theme throughout their stories, which is why then it's interesting that it's like Disney was like, yeah, Pixar, uh, sorry, we're not going to put it in theaters. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did kind of see, same with you with like Encanto, like similarities. And um, that is interesting. I don't, I didn't really look into why they, what their reason, why they said they I didn't. I think it was just covid but, I mean... But, I mean, everything's in theaters now, so... You know. Whatever. If I could have gone to the theaters and seen a, her mom turn into a Godzilla-level red panda come crashing into a stadium, can you imagine what that would be like in theaters? That'd be amazing. Yeah, that would have been amazing. Yeah, that would have been so cool to see in theaters. And kids would have, yeah. like, that would have been great for kids, you know? I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's just sad. Upset. It is. All right, you ready to get into favorites? Yeah. Any other? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You have any more other no. thoughts? No, no, that was pretty much it. Okay. Um, my favorite character was May. I just I felt she was relatable. I felt that she maybe didn't necessarily make all the right choices, but she's thirteen, and you don't make the right choices when you're thirteen. Mm-hmm. You make mistakes, you learn from them. But I thought that she kind of did things for the best interest of other people, either for her friends or for her mom or for her dad. So yeah, I just thought she was a good character. 
I also picked uh, May as well. I Going off of what you said, there's that one line when she's talking with her mom and she's like, you always try to make other people happy at the expense of yourself and like, if I taught you that, I'm sorry kind of deal. And I'm like, yeah. she doesn't want to let anyone down. This like interesting family dynamics that, you know, are very difficult for her and like hard for her when she has friends that like she really loves and things that she wants to do that she doesn't feel able to because she feels like she has to be this like, you know, perfect child for her mom. I really liked a lot of her relationships and things, you know, struggles that she had. It's very relatable, you know, to to experience things like that at that age. For sure. Favorite line, I, I went more like a humor line because my scene was more like emotional. Yeah. Um, there was a part when Sandra O oh, like went with May into the convenience store oh and they're God. talking to the cashier and he, she's like, what, you must be 30. He's like, no, I'm 17. And she's like, this is what happens when you don't wear sunblock and do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that was a good line. I kind of went for a humor line too. So there's a part where she has started turning into the panda and she's in the bathroom and these like girls are like, oh my God, we love the panda. This girl's like, I'll give you money. And then the girl's like, I'll give you my kidney. And then the last girl's like, I'll give you my soul for the panda. And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like, the humor really hit a lot of the time. Oh, that's what I forgot to mention. The humor like really hit. Like I... Early on, I was like, oh, it's really heady. Because sometimes it does that and then it changes up and it's not as good. But the humor to me was like pretty solid throughout. But favorite scene, I went, I had kind of a tie between the scene I mentioned with May and her dad at the end. And then May and her mom at the end. There was a part of that scene that I really liked with her and her mom at the end when she's like, I see you. The end when they're like in the The realm. The bamboo like forest area. And I was like, I really liked that because I was like, I think for the first time, maybe she was like realizing the impact she had had on her daughter's life, like not necessarily trying to have the impact, but like didn't realize the consequences of what she was doing to her. Yeah, I really like the scene with her and her dad as well. Um, but I picked the scene with her and her mom in the bamboo forest because it's like you really, I feel like both of them have this like understanding where, you know, May sees her mom like as a child and she's like having a hard time because she clearly hurt her mom like and feels like you know like she's not good enough for her mom and like may has clearly been feeling that as well and but then her mom is also to re- able to recognize like she is having the same relationship with her mom that she's you know she's now having that relationship issues with her daughter like it's just transferred over in a different way and i really liked that dynamic it honestly gave me uh, also a lot of like shang chi vibes but instead of, like, son, father, is you know, like, mother, daughter, it made me cry, so. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of where I would rank it, I I think I'd have to watch it again. Mm-hmm. I'd say right now I'd tentatively put it somewhere between seven to nine. So for mm-hmm. me, that's, it's somewhere between Incredibles 2, Soul, and Cars 3. I would put it above Cars 3. I don't know about if I'd put it above Soul. It's kind of like... It gave me similar feelings to how I felt around, during Soul. Yeah. In terms of, like, how I... The emotional reaction I had. Yeah. Um. So somewhere around there, but it could change if I watched it again. I had a really, really hard time trying to decide where to rank this. So I, I like it more than I liked Luca, and I am unsure if I like it more than I like Soul. So Soul I had put at number eight. Tentatively, I have Turning Red at number 10, so, like, in between The Incredibles 2 and Cars 3. 
is this is the most likely to change for me. Yeah. I was thinking I might before uh, Lightyear comes out, which will be the next Pixar movie we do in July, right? Yeah. At some point before then, I think I want to rewatch all of these new Pixar movies that I've only seen once, um, give them a second run through, and then maybe I can update my list. Yeah. So that way it'd be more accurate. But um, as always, Cars 2 is still the worst movie. Yeah, car- it, that will never change. Pixar would have a really hard time getting to f- me to find any movie that is worse than that. Yeah, like Alyssa said, Lightyear is also coming out this year. It comes out this summer, so there'll be another Pixar. I think that's the only other Pixar this year. Yeah. But yeah, so next week we are coming at you with some music. Yeah, coming at you with some a new album just dropped in the past couple weeks, and we're going to revisit an artist that we have looked at previously, but not on this podcast. Artists that defined our childhood, really. Oh, for sure. One of the for first sure. CDs that I owned. Yeah. And I like May, I listened to that on my portable CD player <laughs> constantly in, you yes. know what? In 2002, because the album yeah. is 20 years old. This yeah. artist's first debut album is currently in its 20th anniversary. Yeah. So uh, we'll be back, but we do have our social media, Twitter, Instagram, um, our email, r3podcasts at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to reach out to us. Um, but we'll be back next week with yeah. some new content. Bye. Bye. We would like to thank Joseph McDade for our intro music. He provides free music available for all kinds of creative use. The song that we used is called Sunrise Expedition, and you can find it and his other music on his website, josephmcdade.com. If you would like to reach us, you can email us at r3podcasts at gmail.com. That's R, the number three, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Instagram by searching research rank repeat. Oh, sorry, my heater's making noise. I'm going to go turn that off really quick.